Nashville Anthems, a podcast about 80s and 90s country music. I think there's something singularly great about this era and genre of music, and I can't quite put my finger on it. So we're going to find out by picking apart one song at a time. I hope you'll come along this journey with me. I'm your host, Melton McMainerberry. How are we going to pick the songs for this podcast and this project? Well, I thought we would let the songs come to us. So the way that I'm going to be picking songs is I'm going to be tuning in to a station on satellite radio that's dedicated to 80s and 90s country music. And whatever song is playing, when I pull it up, that's the song that we're going to pick apart. So let's do that right now. Let's see what's playing for us. We have Patty Loveless, How Can I Help You Say Goodbye. So I'm going to pause and go pick this song apart on my own. And if you haven't given this song a close listen recently, you may want to pause and give it a listen yourself. And now let's get into it. So How Can I Help You Say Goodbye is a song that I remember well from the 90s when it was popular. I don't know that I loved it back then, but now having really listened to it many times really closely and picked it apart, I have to say I have a new appreciation for this song, and I look forward to discussing that with you now. Let's start with some basic information. On this podcast, I don't want to give you too much. You can just get by looking on Wikipedia, so we're going to blow through this very quickly. But for the sake of credit where credit is due, this song was recorded by Patty Loveless. It was released in 1993-94, depending on how you're counting. The writers were Karen Taylor Good and Burton Banks Collins, and this song was produced by Phil Ramone. So let's get into some key features of this song. So any discussion of this song, I suspect we're going to find that any discussion of any Patty Loveless song has to start with the thing that stands out at least the most to me, and that's Patty Loveless's voice. It's really the centerpiece of this song by a mile. Everything swirls around her vocal. It's the most prominent thing and really just absolutely the focus of the song. How can I help you to say Loveless's voice sounds, I'm going to say, honest. And what I'm hearing there and why I'm saying that is, first, it is gloriously not pitch-corrected. Uh, thank you. It's so great to hear that much color in her voice. It's really pure, kind of unaffected, both by her and by the Studio Tricks sound that her voice is producing. And that's why I would just say it has an honest sound to it. It's also just kind of straightforward. It's light. It's a gentle vocal that she delivers. It's not forceful. I kind of want to say straightforward. It does just feel like she's right there. It's an intimate, close sort of vocal. It sounds like and feels like Loveless is singing directly to you as you listen. And her touch and the way she attacks and just the way she phrases and delivers the vocal, it really sounds like she's singing the song directly to you with that intimate, light, and gentle delivery that she gives. Through the back window of a 59 wagon I watched my best friend Jamie slipping further away Also, the timbre of her voice is something we really should talk about. I love Patty Loveless's voice. I guess I'm love full of love less. Patty Loveless is a Kentucky native, and when you hear Kentucky, when you're talking country music, you immediately think bluegrass. And her voice does have that bluegrassy quality. A bluegrass vocal, kind of stereotypically, it's kind of nasally and maybe a little thin when you think bluegrass. A good example of that from roughly the same era would be Leanne Womack. Leanne Womack is from Texas, but very much her voice has that bluegrassy kind of sound. I'm a little past, little rock. 
Loveless's voice does have that bluegrassy, a little bit of that nasal quality too, but with a round richness that maybe you don't necessarily always associate with bluegrass. It's really a great combination. I think it's what makes her voice so instantly recognizable and so lovely. I'm going to give you some examples of when you particularly hear that bluegrass nasal sound colored with the round richness that is just part of her voice. And those two words are hurt and try. So both of those are in the chorus of this song. When you hear her saying it's okay to hurt, and then when you hear her saying come a little closer and I will try, in both cases you're hearing is the upper end of the range of the song in terms of pitch for what that's worth, but in both those cases you're hearing a delivery there that has a fullness and a richness. It's almost a darkness, a roundness that you might not expect to hear from someone that has kind of a bluegrass background. It's okay to hurt And it's okay to cry Come let me hold you And I will try So call me crazy here, but there's something here similar to how Whitney Houston's voice stands out from other great R&B artists. Something similar in how Patti Loveless's voice stands out from other country and other bluegrass type vocals. It's almost, I keep using the word round, and that's the best word I can come up with to describe it. It's kind of almost molassesy. It's like a dark sweetness that really sets Whitney Houston's vocal timbre apart, and I think sets Patti Loveless's vocal timbre apart. That is all I'm taking with me Another example from 90s country would be Martina McBride. Martina McBride absolutely has that rich, round timbre that I was talking about. She almost epitomizes it. But unlike Loveless, she doesn't really blend it with the nasally bluegrass sound that Patty's does, and that's why their voices sound quite a bit different. But listen to them together, and I think you can hear there is that overlap, and you can hear exactly what I'm talking about with that rich roundness. She loved him like he was the last man on earth gave him everything she ever had life's about changing nothing ever stays the same and she said martina mcbride's voice is kind of closer to reba mcintyre it has more of a natural twangy kind of like an attitude in it and even some raspiness at times it kind of gives it some soulfulness none of that really describes patty loveless's voice at least on this song so some contrast between those great vocalists but the similarity i think one of the things, once you hear it, you'll hear it, is uh, something that I think in both cases sets their vocals apart. Another thing vocally about this song is its register. I kind of alluded to this earlier. This song is in an alto register, very much an alto register, and it really hits Patty Loveless's voice in a sweet spot. Patty Loveless is certainly an alto. The range sounds very, very comfortable for Patty Loveless, especially on the high end. So I mentioned before, the highest note in the vocally in the song is on the word try. It also occurs on hurt, but it's sustained on try. That would be the G-sharp above middle C. So if you know anything about the female vocal range, you'll know that's not a particularly high note. Most women, almost any woman, can sing a G-sharp. And it doesn't sound at all like she's stretching her range. Now, when we get to other Patti Loveless' songs, we'll be able to listen and see, does she go above this G-sharp or not? Or is that really the highest note in her range, at least the highest comfortable note in her range? But for this song, it does not sound like she's stretching. It sounds quite comfortable. And that makes sense. This is a comforting song. When you think about the subject matter of the song, the song is really meant to impart comfort. The chorus is different speakers comforting the first person narrator of the song who narrates the verses. 
it makes sense then that the vocal range would be comfortable. It really doesn't sound like a stretch. You don't really want a song like this with the comfortable message to sound like a vocal stretch, and it doesn't. It also is low on what I would call like drama diva style vocals. This is not a showy vocal song at all. You don't have uh, a lot of moving around, a lot of melisma, and high parts and low parts, and nothing really gets belted out in the song. I think that matches, one, Patty Loveless's voice, although she can do some of that, but then two, matches the song. That's really what the song calls for, and I think kudos to Loveless for delivering it that way, and the arrangers, everyone who made those sorts of decisions for realizing you're singing the song, you know. It's your vocal on the song, not the song in your vocals. So kind of being subordinate to the message of the song and delivering vocals that match that is exactly what's going on here, and it sounds great. The song gets low. It gets quite low, actually. It goes down to, I believe, a low F-sharp, the F-sharp below middle C. It's quite low for a female voice. And it does sound like it's getting toward the bottom of Loveless's range when she sings it, and she whisper sings those low notes, and it actually really, really works. We both were crying. He kissed me gently. That even adds more tenderness to her voice, which is, again, exactly what the song calls for. And honesty, tenderness kind of defines her vocal delivery on this song. So, in short, in summary, Patty Loveless's voice, I think, is the primary feature of this song that makes the song what it is. But let's move on to some others. So, the next thing I want to talk about is storytelling. Again, back to Loveless's delivery here, there's something whimsical in her delivery, and it's storytelling-y. It almost sounds like spoken word. It's so gentle. Sounds like a lullaby or a kid's bedtime story. It's almost maternal in how comforting it is. It feels like an arm being wrapped around you. And that has a lot to do, as we've said, with Loveless's soft, tender, smooth delivery. Once again, I want to contrast Loveless with Martina McBride here, uh, specifically the song Independence Day. So Martina McBride really belts the lyrics of Independence Day out. As you know, it's a great song. And McBride's lyrics in that song have like a, I would call like a desperate newly liberated indignation and she's really forcing those lyrics upon you so her vocals really stir up emotion to great effect while these vocals soothe and calm down they have the opposite effect sitting with mom alone in her bedroom we talked earlier about the similarities and difference in timbre of these two women's vocals, but especially the delivery here, going back to the storytelling thing, Patty Loveless' delivery is a storytelling-type delivery, like a bedtime story-type delivery. And McBride's on that song, especially Independence Day, is almost exactly the opposite of that. It's trying to get you to rise up out of, and take action, whereas Loveless is actually trying to get you to, to lie down and calm down. So I think those, just looking at those as two completely different purposes, that contrast highlights that storytelling whimsical aspect that's going on in this song. It's just you know different purposes delivered extremely effectively by two brilliant vocalists. The second thing related to the storytelling aspect um, in the delivery is the melody itself. So if you listen to the first line in the song, it actually moves around quite a bit. And the notes kind of jump around numbers in an arpeggio. But what it avoids is the tonic. Now the tonic is, let me give you a little bit of a music theory aside. When I say the tonic, what I mean is the note that matches the key of the song. So it's the most 
powerful note. It's the most forceful note that you can sing, the tonic. Other notes make perfect sense within a key or within a chord, but those have sort of different effects, just kind of different nuance there. The tonic is the most basic and kind of most forceful. There's other notes sort of, in a sense, dance around the tonic. So the fact that it doesn't land on the tonic is part of what I'm talking about. That's that whimsical aspect. It doesn't really feel like it's landed. It feels like it's kind of floating, but gently floating. Sitting with Mama Alone in her bedroom More on that to come. I really want to dive in deeper on these verses, especially that first line, because some interesting things happen. But back on the storytelling aspect of it, vocally also, it's important to notice that there's only one voice on this song, period. There is no harmony, there is no background vocals, there's no one else singing. Patty Lovis is not singing harmony with herself, as can sometimes happen in recorded music. It does not sound multi-track to me. In other words, Patty Lovelace did not sing this song multiple times, and all of those takes got blended together on top of each other into one multi-track take. It just sounds like she just straightforwardly sang the song. And again, as we said, no effects, but then musically, the fact that it's just one vocal, here again, it's like one person telling you a story in a room. It's not a chorus of people telling you the story. That's part of the overall effect of the song. As far as the story of the song and the lyrics of the song, there's kind of something that feels like a little bit of a country ballad trope to me that maybe we'll get into more of, but the verses relate a narrative, kind of an overall arc, but each there are three verses, and each verse is kind of a different flavor of, like a building version of this same story of personal loss. Some other examples of that, Don't Take the Girl absolutely does that, and Kenny Chesney's song The Good Stuff also does that. So this is something we see in country music from time to time. We will explore it more deeply how often and how central to 80s and 90s country music that is, but it's part of the storytelling nature of this song, absolutely. And then, finally, the lyrics, the best word to describe them, I think, is straightforward. What you're hearing is face value. A story is being narrated that does not have symbols, metaphors, things like that. Really just the story is being told. The words that are coming out mean exactly what they mean. And there's kind of not much deeper going on here, at least in terms of like the poetry. But that's effective. You know, it's a story being told. It's a straightforward storytelling type song. I think it's on purpose and it is effective here. So in summary, the storytelling aspect of the song has a lot to do with the whimsical type vocals, the way the melody is structured, especially in the verses. The fact that it's only one voice doing any of the singing at all on the song and the fact that it's literally a story being told in three verses of related building narration, which is common in country music, and also the lyrics are straightforward. It just sounds like someone telling you a story, like a kid's story, that you know is straightforward enough for a child to understand. So we've talked about Loveless's vocals in detail. We've talked about the storytelling nature of the song. The next thing I want to get to here is the fact that the song is a piano ballad. So the song is driven instrumentally by the piano, for sure. That's easy to hear. She said, I have to go now. My time here is over. And with her that gives it the opportunity to be both simple and complex. And so what I mean by that is the song has a simple structure. Again, as I mentioned, it has three verses. Each verse is followed by a chorus. There is an instrumental break between the second chorus and the third verse, but that's kind of it. It's basically verse, chorus, verse, chorus, short interlude, verse, chorus, and that's the song. There's no tag. There's no bridge. Especially the lack of a bridge is noteworthy because that makes the song less dramatic. A lot of times the, the big diva moments that we talked about earlier will happen in the bridge. That is not happening in the song because there isn't a bridge. But the song really doesn't warrant one. 
but part of when I say it's simple, that is the simple part of the song. It's also a simple instrumental arrangement. Again, the piano does most of the heavy lifting here, uh, whatever heavy lifting there is instrumentally and everything else just supports. There's some acoustic guitar in there. There's some strings in there, some light percussion. It's all very simple, light, quiet and unobtrusive and the piano kind of lends itself to that the piano can really do that style very well so it makes sense that it would be led by piano so the song is both structurally and instrumentally simple I'm going to go back to the Whitney Houston comparison I'm going to contrast those simple elements with a song that came out a year or two before this song and that was Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. Whitney Houston's Always Love You, which is a cover of a country song, by the way, but a very different arrangement of that country song. Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You goes all in on the drama with the diva-style vocals, the orchestral movie score-like backing track, and even a big key change. We'll talk about that. I wish you And this is really the opposite of that. Now, don't mishear me. Whitney Houston's <laughs> Always Love You is one of the greatest vocal performances of all time, absolutely. But what I want to contrast here is the purposes. This song keeps it simple on purpose. It's as simple as you would want a kid's bedtime story to be. Whereas Whitney Houston and I Will Always Love You is pouring out emotion. It's quite a bit different. So that'd be the simple aspect of this piano ballad. But as I mentioned, a piano ballad kind of inherently gives you both simplicity and complexity. So that was the simplicity. The complexity side of it is related to some of the kind of music theory things that are going on here. I'm going to keep this music theory lesson kind of light for two reasons. One, this isn't a music theory podcast, but then two, there are lots of resources online for music theory that will teach it better than I could and that know it better than I do anyway. So piano lends itself to more complex chords than a guitar does. It's just inherent in the geometry of the instrument. And that's really because a piano, it's a more straightforward instrument, if you will. You're looking right at the notes you're playing. Just kind of no mistake about it. You know the note that's going to come out because you're going to play exactly that note. You're almost looking at a musical staff when you look down at the keyboard. Whereas a guitar is fingered and it has more to do with the position of your left hand, the fingering of your left hand, and there's more than one way to play each note. And it has more to do with patterns and like positioning, whereas a piano, again, is just more straightforward. Whatever note you want to make, you play that note and that's kind of it. So by that token, it lends itself to more complex chords because you can mess with the chord more. You can change notes a little bit. You can do some unexpected things, and you don't have to think about what does that do to my fingering if I'm playing guitar. You can just play a different note on piano. It's kind of that simple. Those are just the natural limitations of guitar, at least for mere mortals. Uh, great guitar players, none of this makes any difference, but for most people, guitar is limited in a lot of these things. So the song is in the key of B major. And that must be ideal for Patti Loveless's voice and her vocal range on this particular song because B major is nobody's friend. Nobody likes to play in B major. It's a very odd key. The intro and turnaround has some real curveballs in it. Lightly breaking curveballs, but they are curveballs. They do some things differently. You know, country music stereotypically is three chords in the truth. This is more than three chords, or at least the three chords have some different things going on in them, largely because you can kind of tell this was written on piano. Here are some of those curveballs. So the chorus ends on what I would call a false resolution. It doesn't end on the one chord or the tonic chord. Again, the tonic or the one is the chord that matches the name of the key. So if this is in the key of B, the one chord or the tonic chord would be a B major chord. But it ends on the sixth chord instead of the one chord, which is a G-sharp minor. There's nothing odd about a G-sharp chord in the key of B minor. But it is a little odd to end a chorus on that. You really expect the chorus to end on that B chord, and instead it goes to the what they call the relative minor chord, the G-sharp, which then walks up to the tonic. 
you hear it if you listen. Every time she says, how can I help you to say goodbye, and it sustains that by, the piano is doing something a little bit unexpected, then it walks up. There's a chord, a chord, and then it resolves to that tonic. You can hear it. To say goodbye. So while that is happening, while that walk-up is happening, the left hand is playing the notes G-sharp, A-sharp, B-natural. It's walking up the scale to the B-natural, which is the tonic. But the right hand is doing some different things. The right hand it just is kind of alternating between just the notes C-sharp and F-sharp. There's some other things are going on, but prominently those notes are heard. The C-sharp and the F-sharp. The C-sharp and the F-sharp, neither of those are in chord for a G-sharp minor chord. So here again, the song says, how can I help you to say goodbye? And that note is a G-sharp minor chord. And the right hand plays the notes, not the chords, but the notes C-sharp and F-sharp. Neither of those are in a G-sharp minor chord. They are the fourth and the seventh of the chord, which are not natural parts of the chord. And you can kind of hear it. It gives it a weird, almost dissonant quality. That's not something you would ever hear on a song that is guitar-led, but it comes easily on piano. I think that's part of what gives the song kind of its whimsical nature. And all those things I talked about, they just give the song a kind of non-standard color, especially for country music. You would not expect to find these sorts of things. It makes the song a little more whimsical and a little bit of a differentiator here. The last thing I want to talk about in terms of the complex nature of the song due to its being a piano ballad is that the verses start on a very strange chord. The verses start on the two major chord. Two major. That would be, in this case, in the key of B. The two major is actually a C-sharp major, which is a strange chord anyway because B is a strange key. But that is a very odd thing to do. I can't think of another song in any genre that starts on the two major. If you can, I want you to email me, meltonmcmainerberry at gmail.com. Tell me your example. I cannot come up with it. Mind you, I'm not talking about the two minor. It's very common to start on the two minor, which in this key would be the chord of C-sharp minor. That's a very common move. If Tomorrow Never Comes does that, the verses of If Tomorrow Never Comes start on the two minor. But I, I can't think of any other examples to start on two major. And it's a really jarring chord every time it happens. It took me a while to figure out what chord that even was when I was picking the song out. It's very non-standard. So the effect it has is... It makes the song, every time the verse starts, it makes the song sound like it's changing keys. When you hear that chord hit, you hear it go up to a two major after the one major, what it sounds like is the song is shifting up a whole step in key. It's just changing keys. And that is a common move. It's very, it's common for verses to walk up keys. It's common to have a big key change toward the end of the song. The aforementioned I Will Always Love You, the last chorus of I Will Always Love You does that very key change. It goes up a whole step. So the song, every time the verse starts, listen to it. It sounds like we're going into a different key. I sit on our bed. But we never do. The song never changes key. And this is part of what I would call the comforting nature of the song. It relates to the lyrics. These big life events feel like they're intruding on the subtleness of the chorus that's in this song. The intrusion is real but the drama is false. So I think that's what's happening here. We're dealing with something that is false drama. So what we're dealing with in the song and then what the narrator is dealing with in real life, it may be jarring, but it's normal. It's a normal part of life. It's something we can handle. And 
I think really there's something kind of that deep going on here with this two major starting on the verse. I want to note too that the melody leans into this jarring effect. The note that Lovell starts on is the out of key note in that out of key chord. So C sharp major is an out of key chord for B major. The reason it's out of key is that the third of the chord is an E sharp. Yes, E sharp sounds odd to say, but here again, we're in a funky key here. But E sharp is a note that is not part of the key of B major. So it is the odd note. It is the note that makes that chord sound funny, and that's actually the very note that Loveless sings. The song starts on, of all things, for my music theory nerds out there, the melody note of this song is a sharp four of the key the song is in. That's part of what makes the effect so jarring. It sounds so much like a key change. It's unmistakable that the chord is a step higher than the key because even the melody sings that note. But it just quickly, just by changing a chord or two, settles right back down into B. It doesn't stay on what sounds like a key change very long. And I want to note, too, shout out to Patty Loveless's great vocals here. It's a hard note to hear, but Patty Loveless always nails it. So in summary, the song is a piano ballad, and piano ballad lends itself naturally to both simplicity and complexity. The simplicity is related to the structure and instrumental arrangement of the song, which are simple, straightforward, piano-led kind of things, and the complexity is more music theory type stuff related to chords and notes within the chords and odd chords and unexpected chords, and even some false drama imparted by a key change that you wouldn't expect. That effect, by the way, you may do that on guitar, but very unlikely. If you're going to do it at all, you're probably going to do that on piano because piano just lends itself to more experimentation like that. The final element that I want to talk about related to this song is what I'm going to call heartfelt heartbreak. So this is a sad country song. There's no doubt about it. No word on dogs or getting drunk or being in prison or trains, but there is plenty of sadness in this song. And there's a line that's walked here. I'm going to say it as a question. How do you authentically do sad but not saccharine? In other words, how can heartbreak be heartfelt? And I think it has to do, back to the beginning of this discussion, with Patty Loveless's honest delivery. I think the honesty in her vocals gives authenticity to the heartbreak. I think also the fact that the song and its contents are relatable. So that relatability, these are common life events. The first verse is moving away from a friend. The second verse is a marriage splitting up, and the third is the death of a parent. So these are very sad and difficult life events, but they're real and they're relatable. They're things that, you know, sadly, many can relate to, if not all of those, at least some of those. The song also uses specific people with familiar names, and I think that actually is important. The friend who's being moved away from in the first verse, her name is Jamie. She's called by name, a very believable name like Jamie, especially for that era. And Loveless, the narrator, refers to her mother as Mama which is definitely a southern thing, authentically southern. It's very authentic country word choice, and mama has a more intimate sound, of course, than mother. And I think that's part of what makes the song intimate and what makes the song heartfelt in its heartbreak. I'm going to give another example of a song that does this well. The, the song is Reba McIntyre from My Broken Heart. It's a good example of a song from a couple of years before this that walks this line really well using some of those same tools. Verse 2 of How Can I Help You Say Goodbye especially tells a very similar story to verse 1 of From My Broken Heart. It's the one about the marriage splitting up. Very difficult subject matter. Country music does that. It's both handled in a way that feels very relatable and very real and I don't know, maybe we'll find this is a hallmark of this era of country music, dealing with sad topics like this with authenticity. But let's leave it at that for now. Let's explore more music and see what it tells us. So an overall summary, 
This song, How Can I Help You Say Goodbye, Patty Loveless, delivers a vocal that the song is centered around that is honest, warm, gentle, tender, drama-free, and that suits the song to a T. Very closely related to that is the storytelling nature of the song. Both the lyrics and the delivery are straightforward and just feel like a child's bedtime story, honestly. They are effective at bringing calm to a situation that might otherwise be very dramatic. The song is a piano ballad, so it has some inherent simplicity and complexity that just makes it interesting and supports the storytelling, comforting nature of the song that we have been talking about. And finally, that all adds up to some heartfelt heartbreak as Loveless's honest delivery and honest vocals with intimate and relatable terms and words and situations all come together to make this song really a song that I very much appreciate now. I think How Can I Help You Say Goodbye is an absolutely a classic of this genre, and I really enjoyed picking it apart. I hope that you enjoyed going along this journey with me. I'm going to right now pull up satellite radio and we're going to see what song that we're going to look at next on this podcast okay it's coming up now the song is garth brooks rodeo i look forward to talking to you about it in the meantime again you can email me melvinmcmainerberry at gmail.com you can also follow nashville anthems on both instagram and facebook and don't forget to tell a friend about us talk to you next time